Uh, kids, time to come on up and have a seat. All right, find somewhere to sit. More room over here. Hey, guys, good to see everyone. Keep coming, keep coming. There's more room over here on this side. All right. Good. Well, as you know, we have been preaching through the book of Genesis, right? And Genesis is a book of origins or beginnings, right? We see lots of things beginning in the book of Genesis. And last week, we read about the creation of people, right? Male and female. And today, we're going to be looking more at a command or instruction that God gave to the first man and woman. And so in the first book of Genesis, in verse 28, we read this. And God blessed them, that's the first man and woman, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so God commanded this first man and woman to have dominion over the earth. Now, the word dominion means to rule over or to be in charge of or to be in control. So this first man and woman were to be in charge. They were to have control over everything in the earth. So I have a question for you. How many of you have a dog at home? Raise your hand if you have a dog at home. Not too many, just a few. Okay. All right. I don't have a dog at home either. So instead, I brought a stuffed animal. So here's, here's my dog. Actually, it's Kellen's dog, all right? I took it from him last night when he was sleeping. Okay, <laughs> so here's our dog. So we'll pretend that this stuffed animal is a real dog, okay? Now let's say I said to this dog, sit, and he sat. And then I said, lay down, and he laid down. And then let's say I threw a ball, and he got up, and I said, fetch. So he ran after the ball and grabbed it grabbed it and brought it back to me. And I said, give. So he let go of the ball and gave me the ball. That would be demonstrating that I have dominion over the dog, right? I'm in charge of him. I have control over him, right? That's what dominion means. So the first man and the first woman were to have dominion over all of the earth, over all the fish and the birds and the animals and the plants over all the earth, they were to be in charge of all things over all the earth. Now think with me for a minute. One man and one woman. Do you think that they could have dominion to be in control of everything over all the earth? That'd be too big of a task for just two people to do, don't you think? That'd be too difficult. But God had a plan. And so God told this one man and this one woman, he told them to multiply themselves by having children. So there would be then more people, right? And then their children would have children, and those children would have more children. So now there's more and more people, and now the people can fill the earth, right? People can go all over the earth and fill the earth. And once the earth is full of people, now could people have control over things in the earth? They could, right? Because the earth is full of people. They could have dominion over all the earth. And so when we train a dog to obey, we are having dominion 
over the earth. Or when we plant a garden and pull out all those nasty weeds, and then we get to eat the fruits and the vegetables, we're having dominion over the earth. Or when we dig a hole, a well, way down deep in the earth to get fresh water coming up for us to drink, we're having dominion over the earth. Or when we use other resources to make clothes and houses and those kind of things, we're having dominion over the earth. And so God has created us, people, to rule over all the earth and all that is in it. And as we do that, as we exercise, as we carry out that dominion, taking control of all things, God is glorified in that because that's what he's created us to do, to have dominion over his creation on earth. So thanks for coming up. Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach and tell us more now. Thanks for coming up. All right, uh, we are in, continuing in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. If you need a Bible, there are some in front of you. Uh, go ahead and grab that. Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 to 31. So we are concluding the sixth day of creation here. Uh, the last two weeks we looked at what does it mean to be in the image of God in verse 26. Last week we looked at what does it mean to be made male and female, and this week we're going to be looking at fruitful and multiply, dominion, food, and then God's very good creation. So nothing controversial this morning at all. You're safe here. This is a safe space. We want you to feel like you're in a bubble of happiness and goodness and peace and all that other kind of rubbish. All right, we live in far northern Wisconsin, uh, and we live in a fairly continuing to be conservative. I don't mean Republican. I mean we believe the Bible to be God's word in our area. We still hold to one man and one woman in marriage, even though we have lots of divorce. Uh, if I were preaching this sermon, let's say, in Madison, it'd be different. We're in Rhinelander. Uh, we're maybe more like Abraham living in the wilds of Canaan than Lot living in Sodom, honestly. And so we don't have the pressure as much yet for rebellion in these verses like believers in, let's say, Madison would. Uh, we do have rebellion in these verses, uh, but maybe not like where some pressure would be in more leftist places. We're still in a pretty conservative area, which in one way makes any sin that we have in these verses worse. We don't have the pressure, the temptation. We still love family here, mostly. We enjoy God's good creation. And yet, even without external pressure, even without constantly being harassed and hounded, we still have rebellion here. And so these verses are ripe for it. Again, I'm going to ask you 
to not um, spend the next bit of time thinking about uh, Madison, thinking about leftists, thinking about anything but you and where you are in the mirror of God's word in these verses. That's what I want to urge you to do. This is for you this morning. Let's read. And God blessed them and said to them, <clears throat> you notice that God's speaking to them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. You are a sovereign, loving Lord who has made all things and provides well for all things. And so you alone are our portion. And we, as your people, have promised to keep your words. And so God, help us now to do that. Strengthen us by your grace to live in this world where the wicked do encircle us because we will not forget, will not forsake your law. And your earth is full of your kindness, loving kindness, O oh Lord. And so teach us to love and to keep your statues. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in the sixth day, and it uh, dawned on me this morning that preaching through the six days took longer than the six days. So there's that. <clears throat> God blesses the people, and God bless them. God's blessings aren't general. They're always specific and tangible. And his blessing here has to do with procreation. His blessing has to do with dominion, our rule over the earth. And his blessing has to do with him providing what we need in order to procreate, in order to have dominion. He doesn't just tell us to go do a task and leave us to forge on our own. He tells us to go and do this vital work and then provides us everything we need to do it. And all of this, as God looks at it, is good. Not just good, it's very good. And so the blessings of God's provision in order to be fruitful and multiply, the blessings of marriage and fruitful sex, to have dominion, the blessings of ruling the earth, uh, all the food necessary to do that are all very, very good. And so, as we said in the time of confession, do you see this world as that? as God's very good gift. Do you see it? Do you have eyes to look around and enjoy all that God has created or not? So let's start with God's blessing. Simply put, everything you have is from God. Everything. Not only the provision of material good, but all spiritual, all relational, all good is from God. And so God has been unthinkably, undeservedly generous to you. This isn't because we deserve it. This isn't because we've earned it. It's all gift. It's all given 
freely of our good and wise and sovereign God. And so why are you so slow to thank him? And why are you so quick to grumble? This past week, we got some snow. And I didn't get sick of the snow. I got sick of the whining about the snow. And then I got sick of my whining about the snow. Let's quit it, huh? Look at what God's given us. So God has blessed us. And then you'll notice God actually speaks to humans here. And God blessed them. And God said to them. God is speaking for the first time in creation to humans, to man, to Adam and to Eve. He is communicating with them. He is communing with them. He is drawing near as a father to his children and speaking in fatherly intimacy to them. God is great. You can see that throughout Genesis 1. He transcends creation. He is far above it. He is unlike everything else. He is the only uncreated being in the universe. He is the only eternal uh, being in the universe. He is unlike us. He is sublime, and yet he is near. He is fatherly. He comes. He comes. When I uh, was called to my first pastorate in Ripon, Wisconsin, there was a woman who had a surgery in Oshkosh. We were in Ripon. And I asked um, another older woman to take me there because she knew this other gal and sometimes um, men and women. It was kind of a womanly surgery and I was young and I didn't know what to do. So I asked her to drive me. And she was, as we were driving, missing turns and visibly shaken and um, I was somewhat afraid for my safety. Uh, and afterwards, when he came back, she just said, I'm sorry for being so nervous. I was just nervous about being around you. Like, well, you don't know me that well yet. Uh, and it struck me that our relationship to God should be like that, that we should be so awed that he would come to us and speak to us. It should surprise us. It, it should make us shake our heads and go, why? Why would you do this for us? Why would you come and talk to us? And so God draws near in fatherly communication. So fathers, everywhere you see God acting in the Bible, you're learning what it looks like to be a father. You don't just look to the text in the Bible that speak specifically to fatherhood. You look to Genesis 1, 28, and God said to them, and learn as a father, I need to be talking to my children. I, I, as a father, need to take time and talk to my children. I need to put things on the calendar where I can get away one-on-one with my children. I can talk to my children. I can speak with my children. And sometimes fathers don't do this. And sometimes fathers, when their children get older, uh, they think that they need less talking to. They don't want to talk to me. I'm not cool anymore. They just want their pals, and that's the last thing they need. Those who walk with fools will suffer harm, and most of your children's friends at ages 13 to 18 are fools, um, and, and your child too. And, and they need a wise person. They need a father to come and talk to them. And so talk. 
Talk to your children. Have family devotions. Eat meals together. Demand as a father that you and your family gather on the table very regularly and you read the Bible. If you want to know more how to do that, take Pastor Jeff's parenting class. But you should plan regular times to be around your child. It's not quality time that matters. It's quantity time. It's all the dull moments where a question is asked or something comes up. Talk to your children. Next, we see fruitful and multiply. God bless them, said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Purpose matters. The created intent of something matters. What it actually is made for matters. Many of us in northern Wisconsin like our guns. Thank God we need more of it, not less. What are guns for? They're for protection, they're for provision. They're to let bad people know that if they come around here, they're going to pay a price. And uh, they're to go and kill innocent, beautiful creatures so that we can have meat. They're not for murder. The purpose for them matters. And we as human beings sin often in misusing or neglecting the God-given, God-created purpose of things. What are you for? Why did God make male and female? What's that for? Why did God create marriage? Why did he unite Adam and Eve, as we'll see in chapter 2, flesh one, one flesh, two becoming one. Why, what is that for? What's your body for? The purpose here of male and female, of marriage, is procreation. This is something that is way too often neglected when you're preparing to get married. How many of you took premarriage counseling, and if you took premarriage counseling, did the pastor clearly explain that one of the main holy purposes that God created marriage is procreating, is to be fruitful? And did they tell you that the purpose of intercourse, the purpose of the marriage bed, it is pleasure, should be pleasurable. It is, according to 1 Corinthians 7, to... Avoid sexual immorality. If you burn with passion, Paul says, get married. Don't neglect the marriage bed. It's protection against sexual morality. But how many of them told you that the reason you're supposed to have sex, that God has given, the purpose of it, is to be fruitful with it, to bear children. Now, What about those who can't bear children? What about those who, because of living in a fallen world, are barren, or a man who is not able to beget children? What about singles? Well, these are hard providences sometimes. Some of you struggle with it more than others. 
what, what do we do with it? Well, it is up to God to give or to take. And so we bless his name. That's one thing we do with that. We should also consider that sometimes our barrenness is the result of our own folly. We rack up debt and we delay marriage and then we delay having children and then we can't or we can only have a few when we want more. It's our own folly. It's true. Sometimes a man and a woman decide to be on the pill for a whole number of years because they want to get settled, they want to get a good bank account and then they can't conceive afterwards. Sometimes it's our own foolishness. But often it isn't. Just God's providence. So there is weeping, there is grief, there is sorrow. That is part of this fallen, broken world. We trust in God's good promises, but we continue to realize, as we did last week, that there are ways to be a father without actually begetting, and there are ways to be a mother without actually bearing. There's adoption, there's fostering, there are sons and daughters, young and old in this church, who need fathers in the spiritual sense and mothers in the spiritual sense. But I also want to say here, when we come to a text like Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, one of the ways you avoid letting that text hit you is by automatically going, well, what about singles? Or what about barren? We as a culture have always are learning to take up offense for somebody else in order to avoid the implications for ourselves. I don't want you to do that. <clears throat> and there isn't a need to flatter everybody every Sunday. Right? There just isn't. I mean, there is every Sunday where we're speaking on a topic that I'm not speaking to somebody else. And, and our world always wants to make sure that we're not offending anybody. So we have to flatter everybody. Uh, come on. That is impossible. It's kind of like when we were talking about evolution. Well, what about scientists? You know, let's be okay with not having to talk to every individual in every specific instance. It's not possible. But God made sex. He made us male and female for a reason. And his reason is to have fruitful sex. Uh, Parents, I want to strongly encourage you to be reading the Bible regularly together as a family. The way our family has come to do it is at dinner time, after we're done eating, clear the table because we have young kids and we don't want spaghetti sauce all over the Bibles. But if you want spaghetti sauce in your Bibles, I don't think it's... We get out the Bible, and we're reading through a book. We're reading through Exodus right now. And we have, what, five kids now who can read? Is that right? (laughs) And we read a chapter. And I just go through and assign chunks to each of them. So Cooper gets one to five, and Daniel six to nine, and Annie. And, you know, the less they're able to read or the newer they are, the less chunk they get. We just read right through it. And you know how many times you're going to be teaching your kids about sex if you'll read through the Bible? You shouldn't be preparing for the talk. You should have had 3,000 little talks from the youngest age all the way through because 
If you read the Bible, you read about sex all the time. All the time. You can't avoid it. <laughs> it's sexual, or the teaching on sex and the problems of sexual morality are all over the Bible. I mean, when you're kids too, they should be hearing about these things. And you don't make it G-rated. You want them asking about it. You want them to, they're going to learn about it. They're going to learn about it. They're going to learn about it from their friends. They're going to learn about it from people you don't want to learn, or they can learn about it from you, from God's Word. And they can realize that they can come to you and talk about these things because it's just normal. So, so read the Bible with them. Help them to see the God-given purposes for marriage and sex from the youngest of ages. This shouldn't be a surprise to them when they're in pre-marriage counseling. If I, as a pastor, realize that it's a surprise in the pre-marriage counseling that the purpose of sex is procreation, there's a problem at home. Do the work, please, for your children. Do the work for your children on this one. Do the work. Now, in our church, as you notice, we don't necessarily have a problem here. (laughs) We're filling the earth. We're keeping the average up. Although I did read an article this past week that in the U.S. for the first time, it looks like the birth rate has fallen below the death rate. This is a major issue in our culture, even if it's not as big of an issue at Pine Grove or in the Northwoods. Apparently, the winters are helpful for something. (laughs) <laughs> Did you get that? If you didn't get that, ask your neighbor. Uh, so uh, we are to have fruitful sex. Now the question is, how many is enough? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Probably if you're asking that question, you should have more. Uh, or, or you might be trying to avoid... I, like, there, three might be enough for somebody. Two might be... I, I don't know. Eight might be... Come to the Lord. And you know what I would do? Ask other wise people. Wrestle with this with people who love you and that you know will trust to tell you the truth about you. Don't avoid your responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. Children are a blessing, brothers and sisters. They are not an inconvenience. Women are lied to all the time in our culture that your children are keeping you from your best life. That is absolutely biblical hogwash. Your children are not an impediment to your better life. Your children are your better life, moms and dads. So our problem in our church isn't necessarily be fruitful and multiply. Our problem is Malachi 2.15. I'd have you turn to Malachi, but it'd probably take too long in finding it. If you want to, turn there. This is a great verse. Right at the end of the Old Testament. Right at the end of the Old Testament, speaking uh, to fathers and mothers. The context here is divorce, why God hates divorce. This is where God says, I, Lord, hate divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is this in 2.15. Did he not make them one? Talking about marriage. One man, one woman, becoming one flesh, Genesis 2. Did not God make them one? with a portion of the Spirit in the union. And what was God seeking? And here's purpose. What is God seeking in the union of one man and one woman Christian? 
What is he, what's the purpose? Godly offspring. Okay, so just note that word godly before offspring. When we look at Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, this isn't just having children. The mandate is actually raising children Christian. He wants the earth to be filled with image bearers who love him and know his love, who repent of their sin and trust Christ and are seeking to live godly. What is God seeking from your union? It's not just seeking offspring. He's seeking godly offspring. And who is he talking to in Malachi 2.15? Who is he talking to in Genesis 1.28? He's not talking to pastors. Not talking to elders. Not talking to Sunday school teachers. Not talking to Awana leaders. He's definitely not talking to your teachers at school. Who is he talking to? Dad. Mom. Mostly dad. It's dad's responsibility. What is God seeking from you, Pine Grove, and your children? Godliness. How do you do that? Well, your children will love what you love. You know that? It's It's just an unescapable reality. Inescapable? Whatever. Your children will love what you love. They will grow to have a passion for what you have a passion for. They will often commit themselves to what they see you committed to. And if you love the Lord your God, if they see dad before we're getting up early to read his Bible, if they see dad gathering the family, no matter the pushback from his wife, and to listen, if you try to lead family your devotions, your wife will often rebel against you. Or your children. And they see you continue to do it anyways. They see you come to church regularly, not forsaking of a church. Or not forsaking church for other things regularly. They see you singing, raising your hands, loving the Lord. They will learn to love that. They will learn to love that. They'll be sinners. Because they'll know your sin. You'll see it reflected in them. They'll need Christ. So they'll learn to love what you love. If you fear God, they will learn to fear God. Second thing I would say, along with that, that's kind of serious, but just have fun in your family. Laugh a lot in your family. Make fun of yourself. You're, you're not so self-important that you can't giggle with your kids or get on the ground and wrestle with them. Have fun as a family. Don't be so cranky. Parenting is hard work. It is. I am too often cranky as a dad. Just give it up. Delight in your children. Have fun together. <clears throat> and I would say to you as women, being pregnant and bearing children is a glory. It's a beauty. I know body image isn't 
so much of a thing for men, although in our gay world, men are becoming way more concerned about their body and preening it. It's disgusting. Um, and I, I'm not joking. It's gross to see a guy preening in front of me. Isn't that gross? But gals are made physically to be a glory and a beauty. And sometimes women, with all of the things their body goes through and bearing children, they struggle then. The stretch marks and the baby bump that persists forever. Men, you should be loving your wife's stretch marks. It is a glory. It is a beauty. It should be delighted in. As she gets older and has hip problems because all the children she bear, you should love her for that and praise her for that. It is a beauty. It is a glory. All of it. Enjoy it. And so have sex. Enjoy it. Let it be for pleasure. Paul says don't deprive each other because of temptation to sexual morality. And bear children. And raise them godly. Then he says, be fruitful, multi, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over fish and birds and every other living thing that moves on the earth. Pastor Jeff already said it. Dominion means here ruling. This earth belongs to us. And no matter how many foolish, bleeding heart politicians tell you otherwise, the earth was made for you, not you for the earth. It's yours. It's ours. Now, one of the things that happens is people look at fill the earth and have dominion and look at, okay, the earth is full. And I just want to say, really? Uh, Thomas Sowell, who is an economist from Harvard, and I think he was at Stanford for a long time, did a study. If you want to read something good about population or uh, sex inequality or pay gap and all that hogwash. Just read him. He'll help you understand what's really going on. But he got onto this liberal saying that we need to have less children, we need to abort more children and so on uh, because the earth can't sustain this many humans. I don't know who recently, what politician recently said it, but we, we can't sustain meat eating anymore. <laughs> oh, gosh. In 1984, he did a study. There's 4.4 billion. I heard this in another sermon, a study this week. There's 4.4 billion people on the earth. Every human being could, with 4.4 billion in 84, every human being could be housed in the state of Texas with a decent front and backyard, and a family of four could have a 6,000 square foot home on one level, and everybody in the world could fit in Texas. And the earth is full. <laughs> right? And they redid the study in 97 when there was 5.8 billion. Texas could no longer hold it, but the island of Bali could. <laughs> Come on. Look around. Is the earth full? <laughs> Come on. Do you think God's so unwise as a creator that he couldn't sustain a world that would be full? Come on. Really? Read the Bible. As Christians, that's what we need to do. And please don't tell me that Christians aren't good stewards. There's nobody in this world that treats the world better than a Christian. Christians were the first environmentalists, not the tree-hugging, foolish kind. I mean, the actual kind that were trying to improve creation for the sake of man. Christians do way better at this than anybody else. Christians, wherever they go, make the world better. 
everywhere. You want to see a nation or a place that has flourished? It's always been Protestant Christian kinds. You have nothing to be ashamed of as a Christian in this area. Nothing. We do really well here. Our struggle is selfishness, right? We move from Chicago and Milwaukee to northern Wisconsin to get away from people. <laughs> to have big acreage around us so we don't have to see any other human beings. We're pretty selfish up here in that way. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So use whatever God has given you to serve other people, not to hide from them. That's what this is for, right? You have a life, you have a home, you have a tract of land, you have a garden. Not to hide, but to serve, to be hospitable. Which gets us to food. God provides. And God said, behold, I have given you every." plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. Now some would say, all right, we original vegetarian, that's what mankind was made originally to be vegetarian, and so we shouldn't eat meat. Um, Well, first of all, he doesn't say you shouldn't eat meat here. And so maybe, maybe not. You can't make a case for it here. Um, But later on in Scripture, it's clear that we're free to eat meat. Jesus and Mark 7.19 declared all foods clean, vegetables clean, meat clean, pork clean, alcohol clean, processed food laden with chemicals clean. Eat it all, no matters of conscience. And I'm not even making jokes here. I'm not making fun of people here. I'm just telling you the Bible teaches you can eat anything you want. You can drink anything you want, and it's fine. Gluttony is an issue. Drunkenness is a sin. But eat and drink to the glory of God. The biggest issue I have with, as pastoral concern, loving concern for people, are two things. One, Some people seem to put much more time and energy into their diet than into their relationship with God. You spend so much time reading and searching out what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. You spend so much time preparing these foods and money buying these foods. And if you would put a tenth of that time and energy and care into the love of the Lord, how much more spiritually mature and beneficial would you be to other people? That is my concern. In our day, when we are constantly hounded to eat more healthy and the Ezekiel diet and this diet and blah, 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 and and you feel like you're parading around your righteousness by what you eat and you're actually detracting from your righteousness because you love that more than you love the Lord. That's the first. The second is, that you are actually being convinced that it is ungodly to eat and drink certain things. And you think yourself more righteous for doing so. Our world runs on virtue signaling. On showing everybody how righteous and good we are because I don't eat that or I do eat that or I don't drink that or I do the drink that. 
It used to be alcohol. If you didn't drink alcohol, you were more godly than somebody drank alcohol. There's still some of that today. But now it's not that. You feel more righteous that you're taking better care of your body if you eat this but not that. And that's just not true. You cannot make a biblical case for that. It's actually the exact opposite in the Bible. Paul calls those who feel like they have to abstain from certain food and drink for spiritual reasons weaker. And I would have you more free. It's no problem to eat your special diet. Please do it. But it does not make you more godly or less godly. And I would urge you to spend that kind of energy and intent on your spiritual life. Jesus said, you eat food and expel it out. Quit spending so much time about it. You can gain the whole organic world and lose your soul. And I want you to love food to God's glory. I want you to enjoy the tastes. I want you to enjoy the happiness that a glass of wine can give you. I I want you to enjoy all of this good, bountiful provision that the Lord has given you and give him glory for it. Our body is going into the ground. Do we love the Lord with all that we are? Are we serving others with it? Are we serving others with it? So enjoy food. We're actually taught to pray for it. Lord's Prayer, right? Provide us today our daily bread. It's good. Teaches you again why God made this world. Why did He make this world? For you. Provide you cashew nuts, honey crisp apples, and black raspberries, and filet mignon, and perch, and hard apple cider, and weak apple cider. for you. Let I tell you about God? What is God like? He's the kind of God who creates a world for us and packs it full to the brim with shrimp. And gives it to you for your enjoyment, for your sustenance, for your provision. Enjoy it. And then at the end of it, God looks over it all and pronounces it very good. So we learned something about God there. We learned two things in verse 31. He's perfect. Whatever he does is perfect. I said this before. He's not like us where we have to make three cuts in order to get it right. He does it right the first time. He's just perfect. He's perfectly good. He's perfectly wise. We also learn here that he's judge. He alone gets to make judgments. He beholds everything. He sees everything. And he pronounces, declares a judgment. It's very good. It's very good. 
six times in the Genesis 1. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And at the very end of it, after it's all complete and full, after the pinnacle of creation, the apex of man is on earth, he looks at it and says, it's very good. So why isn't it so good anymore? Why do we have to talk about what we eat and don't eat? Why are children so difficult to raise? (laughs) Why is the marriage bed such a matter of conflict between men and women? Sin. It's a fall. Look at how much we've lost because of sin. Look at how much we've lost because of sin. But there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and all things will be put under his feet and the final enemy of death will be finally dead and all things will be made new. And we will dwell again on this earth in physical bodies and in even better than the very good in Genesis 1.31. And so we have great hope. We have great hope. Which reminds us of how God, good God is. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to receive your word with joy and gladness, even where it smarts. God, I pray that we would love your word, love the correction that it brings, that we would be humble and tender, that you say you look to those who are contrite of heart, tender to you. And so God, grant us that gift. We want to become more like Christ. We want to live in the joy and freedom that you've given us in this creation. And so help us. Thank you for your creation. Thank you for gifts of sex and marriage and children and spiritual fathering and mothering and dominion over this earth and all the food you've given us. Praise you. May you teach us to delight in it for your glory. You are a good and wise, awesome Father. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.